0: Hello, I'm Beth Kioni and welcome to Frontline Stories of Change. I'm a social worker, a founder of a social enterprise, Care to Dance, and now a podcast host. I'm excited to speak to some amazing people and organisations who share our mission to bring about social change and make a real difference to the lives of children and families. You will hear their stories and advice and I hope join in the conversation as we learn together along the way. everyone it's Beth Becchione and welcome to Frontline Stories of Change. Today is our Christmas special and it's super exciting we spoke to Alex Stephanie who is the CEO and founder of Beam. So during this podcast we spoke about how Beam is building a community for individuals suffering from homelessness. We spoke about how Beam is really using technology as a means of connection which is super important in today's climate. I really enjoyed hearing from Alex how they are using optimism and a strengths-based approach um, to support long-term and sustainable change. And doing so, we spoke about the importance of scaffolding and how we as social workers can also support children and families to develop an economic and social network that allows them to facilitate long lasting change. Alex also gives some great advice. So for anyone who is looking to set up your own initiative, He um, provides some good advice in where to start, and my favourite piece of advice that he's given us has to be to fall in love with the problem and not the solution. So have a listen, Um, you'll feel inspired, and we're looking forward to speaking to you all soon. Hey Alex, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, how are
0: you? Good, I'm good. thanks. So usually we'd quite like to start with an opening question um and so something that we thought would be really good to hear from you is whether or not you have a bit of a tradition, like a festive tradition that you do every single year. I mean at
1: beam we we you know we do a kind of a Christmas party and we have lots of fun and like hopefully like most companies do um and uh what we've we done in previous years we've done things like karaoke
0: amazing have you ever got on the karaoke
1: (laughs) of course absolutely you've got to lead by by example and I think I set the bar so low that encourages other people to get up and and sing
0: I love it that's probably the same as me my go-to song is usually Tina Turner
1: (laughs) excellent I think probably Bon Jovi for me
0: oh very nice (laughs) So if we could start maybe um, by yourself at uh, talking through your journey and setting up Beam, how did you go from befriending a homeless man on the streets to building a crowdfunding platform that supports homeless people into work?
1: Sure. So I used to run a tech company and I uh, left that business to work on kind of what I felt would be you know, a really important social problem. I didn't really know what that Look like um, I just felt that real kind of um, I guess drive to to use some of my experience and kind of knowledge of technology and also network um, for social good. Uh, people in my family had been involved in kind of social work or community work, you know, back a few generations, and I felt like I wanted to use uh, the sort of power of technology to uh, to to, to create social progress um, in perhaps a more scalable way than, you know, my forebears had been able to. I didn't know what that looked like. But um, one afternoon I sparked up a conversation with a homeless man outside my local tube station. He was the guy that I'd probably walked past quite a few times, but that afternoon um, I had a bit of time and I stopped and we spoke and um, he was an Irish man, mid forties, told me he'd been out of work longer than he could remember. He told me that he would sit there because there was CCTV and that made it less likely that he would be beaten up. And over the course of a few months, we uh, got to know each other. Maybe we even became friends. I would bring him cups of coffee. Um, When it was getting cold, I'd bring him uh, pairs of thermal socks. Um, At one point, he just disappeared, though. And um, for weeks on end, um, uh, he was nowhere to be seen. And I got quite worried about him. But eventually he resurfaced and, um, and when he did, I barely recognized him because his his beard had gone um, and he looked just years older, maybe 10 or 15 years older. And I went up to him and I said, hey, where, where have you been? What's, that, what's happened? What's been going on? And he said, been in hospital, had a heart attack. And so we spoke and... I walked home to my flat and as I was walking home, it hit me, of course, really hard that nothing I'd done had really improved that man's life. Nothing that other people had done had really improved that man's life. And I'm sure there were other people trying to help him too. In fact, he was in a much worse position than when we first met. And so I asked myself a question, which was, what could I have done to have helped this man? What should I have done? What could have made a real difference to him? And in some ways, the answer was quite obvious. It it wasn't another cup of coffee. It was actually real change for this person. It was giving him the support and giving him the skills and confidence to get back into work, to put himself in a position where he could buy himself the coffees, the socks, and the hundred other things that we all need in our day-to-day lives. Now, of course, that was gonna cost much more than a cup of coffee. But I thought, well, look, what if we all chip in? What if we can be really, really smart about how we are collecting our charity giving and make effectively really smart investments in people's futures? And so I then began to look at the issue of homelessness. And of course, I realized that for every one person we see on the streets, there are dozens, maybe 30 or so, people who are what you would call statutory homeless so they're living in um temporary accommodation of one form or another often often not a nice place to be whatsoever especially um and not a nice place to be with young kids as many people who are statutory homeless are and so it seemed like there was this much larger group of people who are homeless that i didn't really know about didn't know enough about Um, but it also seemed like they were more helpable in some ways because they had some fundamental stability in their life. So I spent a period of time talking to as many charities as I could, talking to as many people experiencing homelessness as I could, people in hostels, people sofa surfing, people sleeping rough. And during this period, uh, a charity said to me, we should go and meet uh, this man called Tony. He he might be the sort of person that, that you could help. So I said, well, Tell me about him. So, said, oh, uh, he lives in a homeless hostel and he wants to be an electrician. So I said, great. Fantastic. Let me go, for, let me go see him. So off I went. And I went down to Tony's hostel and I uh, went inside and I sat opposite him. And it was obvious that Tony was not in a great place. He was very lacking confidence. He'd been out of work more than 20 years, he'd been in and out of prison, he'd been a drug addict, he'd been an alcoholic, he had a very difficult relationship with most of his family and was estranged from the majority of them. And I sat down and I said, hey Tony, my name's Alex, I'm from a new organization called Beam and we want to fund training and support people like you experiencing homelessness into a new career so you can provide for yourself and leave homelessness for good. And I told him about how it was gonna work and he just sort of sat there patiently listening, apart from one time he goes, can I ask a question? And I said, of course, Tony, you can ask me anything you like. He said, I don't understand. I go, what don't you understand? He goes, why would anyone help me? I don't get it, What? what? <laughs> you haven't thought about this, why would anyone help me, this doesn't make sense and i say to him well look i i'm not going to promise that they, that people out there are going to want to help you and are going to want to support you and fund your new career as an electrician but i believe there are enough people out there who really care about people like you and want to help that that it will happen and we will see that um, and you know i'm happy to give this a go and i'm happy to give this my best shot and if you are then let's just see what we can do together And so he doesn't look convinced but at this point in his life, he's at a pretty low ebb and he wants to give this a try. So off we go and we meet someone who would teach him to get his city and guilds electrical training uh, qualification. And then uh, we basically build a campaign page for Tony on a website that me and my friend uh, Julian uh, built. And then I pick up the phone some journalists and I say, we've got a really exciting story here. There's a, it's a homeless man who's crowdfunding to become an electrician. What do you think? And um, Tony becomes a bit of a media sensation. He's uh, on Sky News, on Reuters, on the BBC a couple of times. He's in The Times, The Guardian, The Independent, and also just covered in you know, quite a few countries around the world. And what happens next? Tony raises the money. It was about £4,300 that paid for his uh, electrician training, transport, tools, and a few other things. Tony got his qualification. Tony got a job working as an electrician on um, commercial building sites in London, got promoted, moved out of his hostel into his own place and um, was reunited with his son and the rest of his family. And that was an amazing experience, I think, for both Tony and me to see that these problems are hard, but they are not that hard. We can solve them. And so when we achieved that for Tony, we just thought, well, look, if we can do this 100,000 or a million times over, then society is profoundly different. And that's essentially what we're doing with Beam.org. We're building a really scalable operational model and really scalable technology that will allow us to support very disadvantaged and long-term unemployed people into sustainable work. initial focus is supporting people experiencing homelessness in London but ultimately our ambition is to help all kinds of disadvantaged groups anyone that we can help um, and um, anywhere that we can help them as well.
0: That's absolutely incredible and I think just sitting and listening to the journey that you've gone through with, with these people such as Tony is absolutely incredible and I think. It's it kind of, it, I mean, it gave me goosebumps. It's really inspirational hearing how someone could, can go through such a journey and also supported from other people in that sense of community. Um, it's really lovely. And I guess, I guess you probably experienced some challenges along the way. And I'm wondering what challenges you've maybe um, come across and how you've overcome them.
1: As I think anyone will tell you that's worked in the homelessness sector, it's, these, these are really complex problems. They're soluble, but they are complex problems, and obviously the individuals we're working with uh, have a variety of different needs. And we, of course, are commonly seeing issues like uh, uh, addiction, um, alcohol, alcohol and drugs, of course, um, different mental health um, problems, and also working with some really, you know, kind of quite high needs people who. Um, have um, you know severely self-harmed, uh, been victims of FGM, um, in several cases have been human slaves, having been trafficked to the UK, and of course uh, these are very complicated issues um, and require a really personalised approach and you know real knowledge of those issues. And um, I think what's been critical here has been really working with my co-founder Seb Barker, whose background is totally different to mine. So Seb's background, um, he started his career working in homelessness and substance misuse services. Um, He worked on the first homelessness social impact bond. Um, He's also kind of worked for NHS England, um, thinking about how you can deliver different types of personalized services. And so he brings a whole, uh, a whole, a new set of skills and experience to the table, really, um, and that's been tremendously valuable. And I think really what we're trying to to do here is to bring an approach that um, is both personalised and scalable. And that's um, you know that's something that I think will always be a work in progress with Beam. Um, and so on the sort of personalised front, there will always be a human component to the service people are just too complicated so there will always be a caseworker there will always be a need for a frontline um, individual but at the same time we believe there's always going to be a need for technology and data and you need to bring those things together so on the one hand homelessness these are social problems that require social solutions and human beings need to be at the forefront of them on the other hand Homelessness is a complicated problem that we think does require data and technology in exactly the same way, like any other complex problem, whether it is urban logistics or cancer diagnosis. And we need to create both the personal and the human and the data and technology. You need to bring these things into harmony, and that's, as I say, that's going to be something that will always be something that we're thinking and and working towards. And I think the the type of person we love working with at Beam and hopefully there are one or two people um, listening to this who might consider working with us at some point in their careers. We love working with people who are just so passionate about solving these problems and being part of really meaningful change. And who also understand that solving these problems is tough and is an ongoing mission. And you just need to make things better and better um, day by day by day. And you know, so we sort of subscribe to this mantra of Kaizen, which is this Japanese term you might know called continuous improvement. It's just like continually improving things. And our operational model, we've probably put through um, hundreds, if not thousands of, of iterations over the last few years.
0: And because a lot of our frontline alumni, the frontline fellows, a lot of the, those people might want to um, create their own initiatives. So um, around trying to facilitate change in some way um, for a particular area or particular um, need that they've noticed during their work in social work. And I'm wondering if you could give one piece of advice to those people who um, have an idea in their head and really want to try and um, create something such as like you did with Bean um, but they have no idea where to start. I wonder if you could maybe give them a bit of advice from your experience.
1: Yeah, I think probably the classic bit of advice, which is very relevant here, is to fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And so you see a lot of people who fall in love with the inverted commas solution or the idea. They have an idea and they are so excited to bring this idea to reality. And the thing is that it's probably the wrong idea because your first idea is just probably the wrong idea. Um, or you know, it's so far removed from what you should really be doing that it looks kind of pretty, pretty completely different. So really the way to deal with this is to be very unsentimental about your ideas and your, in inverted commas, solutions and just to be very excited and passionate about solving the problem because that's really got to be your North Star, um, not whatever kind of idea happens to be in your head at, at that point in time. So, I mean, if I look back to Beam, the sort of the first versions of it were utterly different. You know, we were thinking about, um, you know, we were, uh, crikey, I can't even remember now, but we were thinking about different types of um, services with QR codes and focused much more on rough sleeping, and and it was it was just completely different in its in its you know first incarnations. So. Um, yeah, fall in love with the fall in fall in love with the solution. I think another thing i would say, I know you only asked for one one piece of advice, is to, but just to try and bring the right people around you, um, and the right um, you know teammates and founders. And really, really lucky at being to have not just Seb, but you know other really, really core members of the team who are really, really passionate about solving this problem. And ultimately, you do need people that are going to come on board in a meaningful way. Um, whether that's sort kind of working evenings and weekends at first, before you can you know find the money to pay them, but you need to find that group of people, and uh, you might be able to find a bunch of people to become kind of advisors and go on your website. But there's just you know that's not really going to cut it. You really need people who are going to be in there in the trenches with you and are going to put in the serious the serious hard work um, that's required to make you know anything uh, anything kind of come to life.
0: That's great. Thank you. And I, I love that actually. I haven't heard the fall in love with the problem, not the solution before. And I think that was a um a really good piece of advice because I think when you set up an initiative, it's like you say your, your ideas can change all the time and you feel like some things might not work, some things might um develop into something completely different. So yeah, I think our listeners will be happy to hear that. And so I mean, many young people, so I work with children in care um, and care leavers. And what we find is many young people, especially care leavers, can feel quite isolated throughout the year. And I'm wondering, especially during Christmas time as well, and it can be a really difficult time for them. And I'm wondering whether you could please tell us a bit about how your members are supported and stay connected via Beam, because you mentioned technology and that's, um, especially during COVID, I, I feel that's a really important thing to use to keep everyone connected. I think. It's this building a sense of community and sense of belonging is, is can be quite um, underrated sometimes. I think it's absolutely huge, the impact that can have. Um, I mean, thinking about Care to Dance, which which um, I run for children in care, and it's it, it, seeing the young people come together who have a shared experience and building that sense of belonging, sense of community, it can be so powerful for a person, can't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that is very obvious is when people are referred to the program and they're referred um, either by charities or by government, they often come with cripplingly low self-esteem and self-worth. And it's kind of as if they've just been sort of beaten up by the system for for a long time and have lost faith in, in, in almost everything, um, most importantly themselves. And so one of the things we've always been mindful of since the beginning is to build an experience that is, affirming and um, confidence building and gives people that renewed sense of faith in themselves.
0: And something um, that I've, you've spoken about previously in other talks um, is um, scaffolding. And I'm wondering just for our listeners, would you be able to explain a bit about what scaffolding uh, means for an individual?
1: Sure. So we think about scaffolding as um, it's really a metaphor for the stuff in your life that makes you resilient to shocks. And um, there's sort of, if you break down scaffolding, there's sort of, it it really comes down to two things. The first is training and education and that creates um, economic opportunity and gives you that resilience. And then the other thing is support networks, family, friends, colleagues, um, other groups that you might be a part of. And I was very lucky because I had both um, a great education and I was able to get training in different areas. And I also had support networks, family and friends and colleagues. And if you don't have one of those things, you're a bit vulnerable um, to shocks. And if you have neither of those things, you're very vulnerable to shocks. And so one of the things I was trying to do when I was originally kind of working on the BEAM concept was to think about ways we could build scaffolding for people at scale, and I think what's really really amazing about this crowdfunding model is that we're able to build scaffolding for people um, using it. so uh, obviously the the crowdfunding itself is paying for people's training and education, but then they're also getting these new support networks and those support networks come from the people who are funding their campaigns and sending those messages. And on average, there's about 250 people who fund each person's campaign. And um, I think one of our members sort of says it best when she she said to me a few times that those individuals feel like um, her family. Um, they feel like her new family, which, you know, maybe it does sound strange to, to some people listening, but I mean, she doesn't have any other family in the UK. She she left what little family she has, you know, in a different country, and for her that is a very powerful thing to know that there are people out there in the community in which she lives who are supporting her and who are you know funding her in the same way that you know she will be looking to fund um, her kids through their through their life. So yeah, I think really important that we that we build um scaffolding for people because ultimately if we can do that then they have the ability to reintegrate and help other people build scaffolding and i think you know, one of the sort of the, the personal highs that i get are when i see uh people who've been through the model donating to other people and uh every every week or two you see it now it's really exciting you'll see someone will pop up and you'll go, oh, wow, that's amazing, that's John or Sarah or whoever it was um, that we helped six months ago. Um, They've been in work, they are obviously settled into a new life, and they're giving two quid a month or whatever it is um, to help new people through the model and becoming that patron of the next generation of, of, of being beneficiaries.
0: I think that's, that's lovely, and I think when you talk about scaffolding, um, it really resonates with me as a social worker as well and how we often see um the families and the individuals that we work with, um, they potentially don't have that scaffolding. So what approaches do you take at Beam to ensure that your work with members is not only impactful in the short term, but also brings about lasting change for, for members?
1: Sure. Well I think the whole kind of fundamental concept is about lasting change. So um this is kind of the opposite of sticking plaster solutions. This is working out what is required to take an individual from a state of being dependent on other people to a state of being fully independent from a state of being homeless or at serious risk of homelessness to a state of being in work earning money and in their own home and so that's what the whole model is about Uh, when people crowdfund we do also put in a contingency so there is money um in the model to fund sort of emergency needs that people might have. But fundamentally, this is about radical transformational change for people. Um, and really that radical transformational change comes down f- to putting them in a place of independence. And um, so that's what that's really what this is about. And I think, you know, the people who are uh, you know very actively involved with Beam, the sort of community that we've built, they're people that believe in structural long-term change. Um, they're people that believe in social justice. They're people that believe that we need to do more to, to fix inequality. Um, and on a practical level, they're people that you know believe in increasing opportunities for people and increasing people's capacity to have that money in their pocket. Um, so you know that's really what this is about. And as long as people are you know, coming to me or someone else to get the money in their pocket. For me, that's not lasting change. That's a that's a transitory solution. Um, we need to empower these individuals to, to to you know to to be able to stand on their own two feet and and have money in their pocket. And that's that's what Beam is all about. And ultimately, challenging as that may be at times, I think as you say, by focusing on. The, the strengths that people have, you know, all the people that we work with have so much potential and they don't need to be relying on others for the rest of their life. They just don't need to be. They have the strengths and capacities to stand on their own two feet and be independent. And so, you know, really, they're the sort of stars in this process and we're there just to kind of provide um, a helping hand and just to kind of ease them on this path.
0: And you've mentioned quite a lot throughout this podcast, the importance of getting the the right people on board who share the same passion to then drive a collective change together um, and how that can be really important. Um, So that's a good message, I think, to take away from this is really trying to um, connect with people who share the same passion and really want to drive that change and lasting change. So it's been an incredibly difficult year um, and even so more so for vulnerable people um, in society. And I'm wondering if you could name one thing that you have learned this year that you would like to take with you into the new year.
1: Yeah, it's a difficult question, but I think my answer would probably be that even though this year has been a colossally difficult one, I think it's a year in which we've also seen resilience in pretty extraordinary forms as well. Both, you know, the resilience of uh, individuals um, often facing down incredibly hard circumstances, um, and the individuals of um, communities as well. And I'd also probably add the, the you know, the resilience of, of teams as well. So people doing um, you know challenging work on the front line, and um, I think we've seen that at, at Beam as well um, in, in every aspect and when we went into that first lockdown of course we had no real notion like everyone else of what the months ahead were going to hold um but i am really proud of the team how 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 they responded um within about six weeks we'd rolled out um a program providing emergency support for individuals using our technology and we were sending emergency care packages um including things like food and um, educational tablets for kids and um, hygiene and sanitary products um, to people living in emergency accommodation and other types of homeless hostels, women's refuges um, all around London. And um, hundreds of those were going out within about six weeks. And so I think, you know, probably end this interview, I guess, on the note of optimism, which I think um, defines how we work, which is that traumatic as this period has been, I am also hopeful that it will be a, a catalyst for 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 positive change um, and, and for social justice.
0: Thank you so much, Alex. And I love, I always love ending on optimism. So I'm sure the listeners will love ending on that too. So thank you so much for your time, Alex. It's been really great speaking to you and hearing all about BEAM um, and have a lovely rest of your day.
1: You too. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye.